Well, a quick moment of personal privilege before we get started. That word is privilege. Privilege. Off to a great start this morning. A quick moment of personal privilege before we get started uh, to welcome Dave and Ann Dorst. Uh, I'm sorry Dave had to welcome himself and his own wife. Uh, you know, after it's a cold, cruel world here at First Presbyterian Church. <laughs> Dave and Ann were here uh, 2013 and 2014 uh, as interim, um, right before Beth and I came, and uh, they have been back a number of times since. They've remained close friends to this church, no strangers to, uh, to most of us, but many of us uh, in the room came after they were, uh, they were here regularly, so... Uh, as, uh, as I begin my sabbatical this summer, uh, which will start uh, not next Sunday, but the following uh, Monday after. So we're going to have confirmation next Sunday, so I'm going to be um, present through confirmation, and then that'll begin. And Dave has graciously offered to be here through the summer while, uh, while I take a deep breath and a step back and, uh, and reflect on uh, these seven years and think about uh, what's next for us together, and at least in terms of of what um, of of the next season, and uh, and how God is is leading me and messaging and uh, so it's it's a great um, gift that they're really to, to this church but also to me to be able to give us a breather. So welcome, Dave and Ann. Let's welcome them one more time in a bigger way. All right. <laughs> The film Dan in Real Life, Steve Carell plays this dad of three girls. And this one scene has stuck with me where he messed up and he said some things in, out of anger. And the next morning, you know, they're all vacationing together in this, this beautiful Maine, coastal Maine house. And his parents are there. So mom and uh, grandma and grandpa are there, and so he's talking with her and describing to her how he messed up, and he says, I hurt them yesterday, and she said this, well, go unhurt them. That is just such a beautiful, redemptive picture of home life and what it takes. You're going to mess up. This morning, we're talking about moving from house to home. Last week, we talked about moving from house to home in your marriage. Today, we're talking about moving from house to home in the rest of your family. As a, as a child, as part of the house, as parents over that household. How do we move from house to home when we know we're going to mess up? I love this. My favorite parenting verse is this. Love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> You're going to mess up. It's not about getting it perfect, but it's about making progress. How do you get on that path where you're moving from house to home? How do you set a tone of redemption and forgiveness? How do you speak a central word that God is for us? How do we create that kind of environment, that kind of atmosphere in our homes? Well, the answer, as we'll see from the book of James here, is everyday moments. Not the right buttons to push and the right levers to pull in certain quality time, 
but quantity time moments, ordinary moments, everyday moments. You can set the tone of a central word to live that word every day. From the word of God, James chapter 1. Starting with the verse we left off with last week, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God, bless us indeed this morning through your word. Not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Young Life is a parachurch organization aimed at students who are outside the church. It's an outreach, outstanding uh, work that they do to reach out to to kids that uh, aren't coming up inside the church. If you go to one of their camps, like uh, Windy Gap, I used to work at Windy Gap in in the weekends when I was in college, and if you you go to one of their retreats that are week-long in the summertime, if you were a kid... You'd sit out there, and one of the first things you would hear coming out of somebody's mouth from the front is this. This weekend, there are no rules. And they'd pause for effect. There are no rules. 400 kids go, yeah, no rules. And then after the screaming and craziness died down, they'd say, but we do have a few very strong suggestions. All right? You know what works about that? You know what's beautiful about that? Kids get it. They understand that you're putting relationship first. That the rules were made for them, not them for the rules. The Sabbath was made for us, not us for the Sabbath. That's what Jesus said. And so to get an environment over a weekend of grace and truth, to get to an environment and set a tone of relationship, you have to know what your your central word is all about. You're living your life around some central idea, some central word. Somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And he said, the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Over and over again, Jesus summarizes the law, not just in the great commandment, 
But when he says there's a new command that I, I ask you to, to follow, and that is love one another as I have loved you. Or when he says in the golden rule, here, take this with you. You always have this in your back pocket. You want to know what to do? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's always a word. And the word, when James says, be doers of the word, you have to ask yourself, what, what word? And the central word is, is really relationship. That God is in the business of reconciling relationship. God is for us. Who can be against us, right? It's by grace you've been saved through faith. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the central word is news. It's good news. The gospel, the Old and New Testaments all come together around the central word of forgiveness. And so, in other words... Instead of thinking of do's and don'ts, can's and can'ts, should's and shouldn'ts, what is powerful and possible for us as a people? How do we create that kind of environment where the people around us in our households are saying, boy, this is a place of relationship, of power and possibility, that God is for us. How do you create that? Well, you have to live it. You have to speak it, and you have to share it. That word, that central word, that, that chief end, that priority. What is the chief end? To love God and enjoy him forever. What's the central word of your life? There are so many different ways to say it. You can pull it from everywhere in the scriptures that God is for us, that relationships are possible again, that redemption is God's business, reconciliation is the business of the cross. How do we create that kind of environment in our homes? Live it. Speak it. Share it. First, you've got to live it. And you've got to live it up, up, up close, right? So the closer you get to your household, the more you see that central word at, at play. Not just far away, like, oh, they look good from a distance. They, you know, we all look really good from a distance, right? Um, people, when, when people, uh, my, my, my sort of uh, common line is when, when anybody comments about something, you know, complimentary about what I'm wearing, I'll say, it's good to be covered up, right? Oh, I like that shirt. Well, it's good to be covered up. <laughs> we look good covered up. We look good from a distance. What do you look like close up? You got to live it. And the closer you get, you got to see more of that. Not perfection. We're not talking about wrinkle-free. We're talking about progress. What road are you on? What path are you on? Christianity was originally called the way, the way of the word, the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the word made flesh. Who are you following, in other words? When you get close up, what are you really living? There's an image. I, I, I heard about this uh, painting of a monk. And it's sort of a, it, it's sideways, and he's at prayer. It looks like he's at prayer. And as you get closer to the painting, if you get really close up to it, you actually see that he's not praying. He's, he's squeezing a lemon into a punch bowl. <laughs> I just want you to picture that, that image as you think about when people get close up to you or when you think no one's watching. You know, who are you when you think? No, you've heard this uh, uh, who you are when no one's watching. Well, someone's always watching. 
Someone's always watching. And do you feel that as pressure? Do you feel that as something potentially punitive? Or do you feel it as power and possibility? It depends on what's your central word. What's the word you really believe over your life? Is it forgiveness? Or is it just try harder? Is it redemption? Or is it you better be good? Is it God is for us? Or is it watch out? What's the central word? When you get close up, are you living it close up? You know, I I think some of us do this thing called code switching, right? So what, what James is talking about here in this verse 22, being doers of the word and not hearers only, what he's talking about when he's saying, uh, what, what he's saying when he's saying, you, you're, you're like somebody who's looked in the mirror and then you go and forget what you look like. In other words, we, we sometimes live two different ethics. Like we, are on, we have this Sunday ethic and we say, oh yeah, I, I believe that. But then, to, then we go and, and live in another way. We, we operate our businesses as though we don't really trust that God is for us that God is sovereign. Uh, We see that last piece of cake, and we think, well, (laughs) I'm glad I got here first, right? (laughs) Or, you know, you you, you begin to think, I've just got to get this thing perfect, and everybody has to see a perfect me, and everybody has to see a wrinkle-free me. I, I certainly don't want my kids to embarrass me out there. They might think less of me. And so we begin to to operate one way, we say we're all about grace and truth. On, and, and, then, uh, and then we go and we get in the car and we use shame to try to get the golden egg from the goose. What are you living in those everyday moments? And, and why? Is it just because you heard again that you're supposed to do something? Well, that's not the message of James saying, if you're, if you're a doer, then you're somebody who's heard it, you've received it, it's central to you. The word that God is for us is meaningful in your life. And so it's going to be lived. When you get close up to the monk, he's actually praying. <laughs> he's not just from a distance. Code switching is this idea that... Um, with, with one set of people, I talk a certain way. And I, you hear this in, in teenagers a lot. Like when they're with their friends, they have certain lingo, right? And they'll use kind of uh, language that they don't normally use around everybody else in certain terms, you know? It's like, you know, today it's like memes are everything and everywhere. Every meme. I mean, and they talk in memes, right? Like uh, we, we were talking before the, the worship service and uh, there was something that somebody mentioned. It was like, there's a meme right there. Just like the memification of, of life, the universe, and everything. It's called code switching. And so then, then you get around and, and sometimes, you know, I, I, I hear some of these kids that are so well behaved and it's yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am for everything. And it's like, it, it's like and I love that and that's good training and all that. Uh, but is that... For real? Is that how they talk with their friends? See, it's code switching. And and if kids see us living one ethic one way because these are the rules, 
and another ethic another way because the rules don't matter as much over here, then the central word is rules, not relationship. And guess what? Rules without relationship brings rebellion. You can be all about the right buttons to push and the right devotions to read and the right pattern of life and all the rest of it. But in the everyday moments when you get close up to the picture, what word are you living? Are you living relationship? Are you living power and possibility? Is God really for you? And is that coming out when you're squeezed? Eugene Peterson is one of my heroes. He died a few years ago. And there's a biography, a new biography called Fire in My Bones, written by Wynn Collier. Wynn was a young guy uh, close to, to Peterson who got his permission to write his biography. And I've been making my way through it slowly over the past couple of weeks. It's just, it's just nectar to me. This is a guy who just was such an outstanding person in every way. Presbyterian minister, uh, a, a, a real guy who really lived what he really believed. And this is, this is what, um, what Wynn Collier says about, uh, about what Peterson believed about the central word in his life about the gospel. It is the conviction that everything, absolutely everything in the scriptures is livable. Not just true, but livable. Not just an idea or a cause, but livable in real life. Everything that is revealed in Jesus and the scriptures, the gospel, is there to be lived by ordinary Christians in ordinary times. How do you create an atmosphere in your home, of home? Not just a house, but a home. More is caught than taught in everyday moments, in ordinary moments. More is caught than taught. What is that central word? Are you living it? Are you a doer of the word? Can, can the people around you see it before you speak it? When you say, well, it doesn't matter what we say then? Well, yes, it does matter what you say too. But your words should complement what you're really living. So you have to live it, but then second, you have to speak it. And you have to speak it knowing the weight of words. Now again, this is about power and possibility. This isn't about do's and don'ts, can's and can'ts, should's and shouldn'ts. Now here's how you're supposed to talk. No, it's like, what, what, are you, what is the central word? Is God for you? Is the great command, the, the great opportunity of your life? Is it the hinge of history? Is it the defining moment for you? And is that just what you're living? I'm not talking about saying amen and hallelujah and coming across like, you know, you're sort of at church all the time in some Sunday school thing, you know, some kind of falsified pattern of holiness. I'm talking about in the real stuff of life, is God for you? Is he sovereign over all things? Is that the central word for you? Are you living it? And then are you speaking it intentionally, genuinely, not religiously, 
who you are, the way you speak it, the way it naturally comes out in you, knowing that there's the weight of your words and the people around you, the weight of your words. Verse 23 says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer, he will be blessed in his doing. Deceiving yourself is when your words and your actions don't match up. There's no integrity. There's no matching. There's no lining up. There's no hand in the glove, right? It's just a glove. There's no life in those words. But the words do matter. There's weight in the words. I want to tell you about a guy that everybody in here has heard of, one of the most famous people in human history. And one of the most influential people in human history. In fact, he, he's sort of looming in the background between... Uh, between a view uh, uh, of, of, of democratic capitalism and uh, a view that, that life needs to be managed by a central government. Okay, so there's somebody in the background in all of this. And this man grew up in Germany. When he was a boy, his, his household was centered on Judaism. They were Jewish. And then they moved to, to Belgium. And his father said, hey, we're going to be Lutherans now. And, and this boy was really confused. Like, I thought that we were Jewish. I thought, we were, I thought that was our tradition. And he said, no, you know, um, we really need to join the Lutheran church. If I, wanna, if my, I want my business to be successful here. If we want to have connections, if we want uh, to have a decent life here, we really need to be Lutherans. We're Lutherans now. And, and this young guy had an impression about what was real that didn't match up with what was being said in the household. Is life centrally meaningful? And does our faith speak to it or not? Well, of course, I'm talking about Karl Marx, who said, religion is the opiate of the masses. Imagine if the words and the deeds in that household had matched up, and that brilliant mind had seen the weight of words matching up with a life centered on a word, a word of truth. A word of hope, a word of faith, hope, and love. You've got to speak it. You see, we can deceive ourselves. You can fool a fool, right? You, we can be fools. We can, you can fool a fool, right? You can be foolish. You can con yourself. You can con a con, right? You can con yourself. But don't think you can kid a kid. You cannot kid a kid. You can fool a fool, you can con a con, but you cannot kid a kid. If your words do not match up, if you don't recognize that your words carry weight 
and what they're lined up, truly lined up with, that they can measure that, they can see that. You see, what I'm saying is not, I know it sounds like what I'm saying is when there's a gap between those two things, watch out. Well, yeah, you should watch out, but, but what if they line up? Then what? Power, possibility, relationship. You see? Finally, if you want to go from house to home in the everyday moments, in the ordinary moments, where there's a central word that, that carries the day, that, that really gets a life-changing power in your midst, you have to live it, speak it, and you also have to share it. Verse, uh, verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and not, can't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, his religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widow, widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And you say, well, Tim, what? All of a sudden you're talking about, now, this book of James confuses me because I thought that it's by grace we've been saved through faith. And, and here you're talking about you better live it and you better speak it and you better go share it. That doesn't sound like by grace you've been saved through faith. I know. And I can feel the heaviness in the room because I'm not doing a very good job helping you understand what James is saying. Here's what he's saying. If you have an experience of grace, it's going to be lived. And if it's not being lived, if you're code switching, if you're living two different ethics, then you're missing the power and possibility of faith. If it's not, if what you're saying is totally at odds with what you're living, then you've missed it. You've missed it. Your, your, your life is torn apart. You're, you're, you're a, dis- a disintegrated person. You're not an integrated person. You're not living in the power of relationship. But when you do, and if you do, there is this central word that is really like a nuclear power plant that motivates everything you do and say. So much so that you have to find outlets for it. And that's what he's getting at with verse 26 and 27. That when, when our words and our deeds really do line up, when, when we're living this central word of faith, hope, and love, that God is for us, that, 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 that the gospel is really not just information, a set of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, can's and can'ts, but it's about relationship. It's about power and possibility. When we're living that, we have to go outward with it. It's not just a private thing. It's not just a view. It's, it's, it's not just private views. It's news, you see? You can begin to see then in your own lifestyle whether the word of grace of the gospel is truly meaningful and powerful to you because it's meaningful and powerful through you. Regarding someone like a widow and an orphan who can never pay you back and to move towards them with a good word, to move towards them with a good deed and a good word, motivated by that good word, is to demonstrate outwardly something that is reality inwardly. When you get close up to the, the painting, 
The monk is truly a prayer. You begin to say, there's something valuable here, not just for me, but for all. Something truly valuable. You ever watch that, uh, that, uh, that series, American Pickers? I love that, um, this series. American Pickers, it's, it's these two guys that are trying to get into people's warehouses, like, or trying to get into their garages or attics, or they're trying to get into their, their basements where they've hoarded all this good stuff, right? They have all these, these things, like Grandma's rocking chair, and they have this sign that they picked up that had Elvis, you know, sign it or something like that. And, and they're all of these, these, this, these slices of Americana, all these icons, and they're trying to get these, these people who've been hoarding this stuff, this valuable stuff, they're trying to get them to just loosen up just a little bit. And it's, all, it's so interesting watching them negotiate because when they, when they get the door cracked, then it, it, it begins to open up. And, and the reason that they have to be really very careful about how they, they approach these folks is that, that they think that the value is only for them. It's like, I found this. I'm keeping this. I, I'm going to die with this stuff in my attic. I mean, you know, this stuff is just so, it, it's me, right? And, it, and, and, and I, have to, I have to hold on to it because it's life, right? And they're saying, well, you know what? I think that thing's worth about $500. And probably they're thinking, what? I thought it was probably worth about $200, right? And I, like, they're saying, like, they go in hot. They go in like, I think that thing's worth about Five hundred dollars. I'll give you five hundred dollars for that old sign. It's you know kind of cracked and you know it's kind of smudged and it's not in its original form. But I'll give you five hundred dollars for it. And then here comes the handshake. Boom! They shake hands and it's a deal. And then it's like all of a sudden, it's now a store. It's no longer a basement. Do you see what I'm painting? The picture I'm painting here for you. You see. Too often, we, 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 we think of Christianity as just this place. We, we come on Sunday, and we sort of huddle up, and we all have the same problem, right? We think life's meaningful. Shh. We think God is, is sovereign and powerful, but no, no, don't, don't say it too loud. You know, this is, this is just for us. These, this is just our view. This is just a set of our views, See, the power of the gospel comes to life in you when you recognize this isn't about your views. This is about news. That what happened on the cross and in that tomb is the hinge of history. And when the hope of that comes to life in you, it will be lived. That's what James is saying. Of course it will be lived. And here's the reassuring thing. You're going to mess this up today. But you're on the path of power and possibility. You're on the path of relationship. You're on the path of faith, hope, and love. And the people around you, when it is real, even when you get it wrong, are going to get it. And the people around you who can do nothing for you, that nuclear power plant of that central word that God is for us, who can be against us? It has to get out. And that speech where you, you said the wrong thing, 
and you hurt some people, ah, here comes the power and possibility to go unhurt them. What's the central word of your life? What's the central word? Are you living it? All the way into every layer. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that before us is set this table where life came into human flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt in our midst. And here in a way that we can taste and smell and drink, touch, see, is new life. Lord, bless these elements before us. From their common everyday purpose to a sacred, sacred tradition. That as we receive this bread and drink from this cup, we experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness. In Jesus' name.